0: Every business comes to life through its service experience. Your business success depends on whether your customers are loyal to you. That's where real value and profit is created. Great companies ubiquitously have great customer experiences. A thin red line divides those that invest and consistently deliver what their customers need and those that fail and get disrupted. In competitive and challenging times, leaders need to double down on their customer experience learn and grow the value you create grow your success be on the right side of that thin red line this is the cx guru with your host eric mccroskey a globally recognized ops and customer experience guru public speaker and author your business success story begins now Hi, and welcome
1: to the Customer Experience Guru. Today, I'm very excited to have with me Ted Stodolka. Ted Stodolka has been a, a fantastic leader, grew up and spent years in customer experience at Marriott, a lot of different roles around uh, customer experience, has done a lot of innovation there, and now is a VP and Chief Care Officer and Diversity and Inclusion Leader for Hallmark Cards. Ted I'm really excited to have you with me. Uh, you have so much wisdom in this customer experience space. I think it's fantastic to have you on the show.
2: Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here, and uh, uh, I'm glad you feel I have some wisdom there. Some days I'm not so sure about myself, but um, I'll take that when
1: I can get it. Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, so I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, yourself. I shared a little bit about your background at Marriott and, and how you're now at Hallmark. I'd love to hear from you in terms of what got you passionate about the customer and customer experience in general uh, to drive a lot of the change that you have within businesses?
2: Gosh, um, you know, I think most of it was probably driven from uh, growing up. For some reason, it was instilled in me. Maybe it was uh, school, maybe it was church, part family, but of this thing of doing it right and being right and fairness. And then working in a contact center environment for many years Um, you kind of get to hear it whether you want it or not when the company isn't appearing reasonable or fair to consumers. And so it kind of was this immediate magnetism between those two. And I, you know, when I was a phone agent, I would actually have to listen to this and find a solution to it. And then as I progressed in my career, (laughs) tried to find some ways as a company, we could act better um, when dealing with our consumer. And, and, That could be a million different things. Um, And so I think that's where the root of it, but really it was um, a a boss. Isn't that usually what somebody has like either a mentor or a boss that kind of like ignites that with them. And um, mine, it was uh, Nell. So Nell was uh, a leader um, at Marriott, still a leader at Marriott and I, I worked for her and she and I just really hit it off. And she was so passionate. She could get me so energized about changing things for the better the consumer and it just the it just like ignited and um, i couldn't really control it so i was um, deep in trying to improve the consumer experience um, at marriott and then i took that um, and Mm -hmm. brought it here to hallmark And primarily eric it's really around just reducing effort it's amazing how much effort we throw in front of consumers and we want them to buy something from us. I still have to laugh about it some days. How hard it is um, for somebody to buy something.
1: Exactly. And I and I think for, from all the work that I've seen you drive, uh, Marriott and across is just that that passion for the customer always comes forward. Um, loved it to hear a little bit more about how you've been successful at reducing customer effort because that's a part that so many organizations have not been successful at driving, uh, or they're chasing tiny little details around. Uh, the amount of effort shaving a few seconds of a call as opposed to really missing the point of how do you make it easy to to actually buy from you? Yeah,
2: Um, (laughs) it's funny. Um, Again, this is one of the things that came out in my work with Nell initially. And it is, I've seen it over and over and over and over and over again, which is you can try to look at your overall consumer experience across the company. And it can sometimes, especially for big companies like Marriott or Hallmark, um, it can seem daunting to try to say, oh, I've got to change something. But when you just try to f- focus on one piece at first to say, where do we begin? Let's just do something. And in my experience, that focus has initially been in the contact center environment, usually large scale environments, right? You're dealing with a lot of consumers. And so you have the opportunity to really kind of see if you can make some tweaks somewhere along the way and improve it and, one of the, and improve it, excuse me. So one of the things that Nell kind of really talked to me about a lot was like, well, we can dream all we want, but you can't do any of it until you fix the systems and the processes because that's what's driving it. It's all of that craziness with computers and technology and systems and then the actual processes that are uh, kind of the foundation of some of them. Um, Sometimes they just augment the system, but all of that together in totality is what driving is driving this consumer experience. And so you've got to fix the systems. And so um, Nell and I um, worked um, really hard to um, try to put a, a good case management and contact routing system and a social media system um, at Marriott. Um, we put a, a new reservations front end um, on that as well. Um, that Some of that work was finished after I left that role. Um, but at Hallmark, we've done the same thing. All of our systems were... So antiquated, and the processes behind them. So those that are in care that we could control, we've ripped them out, and we put new ones in. And it has been a painful experience mm-hmm. for the team because when you want to change one system, just say a case management system, there are countless interconnections about what that those old systems did. Right. Um, and so uh, replacing all of those with step one. And we immediately start, started seeing, oh, we don't need as much time to train because it's not as complicated anymore, and we don't have any, as many rules, and they don't have to do 15 sure. steps. Um, there are bigger issues at play. Um, in my current world at Hallmark, um, uh, you know, we're a brand that's been around a long time. We have a lot of old systems. And so those don't go away overnight. Those take longer. But we found some, we think, thoughtful ways to try to interact with those systems, Um, a little bit better. Some of them not, we're just stuck with them. Um, But what we could control, the important thing was, uh, is that the things that we could control, we did and we changed them. And I think the fundamental outcome, Eric, and this is some of the work that your team and I have worked on in the past is the fundamental outcome is you have to go rewrite all of, some people call it your policies or a playbook. We call it our knowledge system. And we had to rewrite all of them, every single one of them. Mm -hmm. You know what we found out in many cases when we would look at process steps, we were amazed at how complicated we had made things over the years. And when somebody like me is new to it, and I go, why, 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 why all day long, people start getting like really worked up and they're like, I don't know why. And I'm like, well, then remove those five steps. So a great example of it could be a team that really felt that they had empowered their frontline people to make the decision they need to make to take care of the consumer. And people feel really strongly about that. But when you start digging, you find that there are so many invisible barriers they've created that people don't feel and in actuality aren't empowered. And so you have to go and remove all of those steps of log it in this system, check with this person. You're only empowered to $1.25 with this type of case. And when you remove that and you make the process simple, And you say, Eric, in your job, when you talk to a consumer, you do what's right to take care of them as long as it's moral and it's legal. And if it costs more than $200, check with the supervisor just to make sure you're not being crazy. And when that's the policy, you start getting better outcomes.
1: For sure. You remind me of um, a great story. I remember early on in my career, I was reading uh, about Continental Airlines and you're familiar with how they had shifted from being many, many times the worst airline you could possibly fly on, gone bankrupt twice, didn't treat their <laughs> employees particularly well, to a, a gentleman called Gordon Bethune had come in and decided to, to 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 rewrite a lot of the rules and then turn into a multiple multi-year J.D. Power winner uh, until they had merged with, with United. Uh, but one of the pieces, when you go back uh, at the onset, one of the elements he started driving is really about empowering, removing a lot of the 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 shackles that were preventing people from doing the right thing, uh, like you talked about. And and I remember one of the symbolic moves he did, don't recommend it to anyone, is he had created a huge bonfire, I think it was at Houston Airport, burning all the employee manuals as a symbol of saying, from today onwards, we want you to make the right decision not to refer to the manual uh, and and giving guiding principles. I I just thought that was an incredible parallel. I love it. That was his way of saying, from now on, make the right choice. (laughs) So you've done a lot of work around the technology pieces. Uh, you've also implemented some, some bots. Can you, can you share a little bit about bots and how they come into the customer experience? Because sometimes it can be a bit scary. Some people think it's going to make things more complicated, more difficult.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I, a couple of years ago, when I first started hearing about this thing called a bot, I was like, oh, rolled my eyes and walked away, not really thinking. I just thought it was another way to, quote unquote, deflect. Which I still have to chuckle at. Like, we want to deflect anything from a consumer. Why would we want to not talk to our consumers? So, I kind of poo-pooed it initially, um, mm-hmm. but I understand how, you know, we're, we've gotten there with chatbots, and and really the the how we've gotten here is um, we've created really complicated ways to do business with companies, and then we don't want to put the labor behind humans to staff appropriately. And so what happens is when, you know, primarily people were using telephones, they would wait for six years and nobody would ever answer the phone and they would eventually hang up. Um, and so people were trying to find solutions. to it. Obviously, that's where the interactive voice response units came on the telephones. Those weren't too great. Some of them are great. Some of them are okay. Um, but um, chatbots to me were kind of the digital non-voice interpretation of that. And so when we started kicking around should we look at it? It really came from a little bit of financial pressure of, Oh, okay. We're getting a lot more consumer contact. Um, That's great. And I'm love working for a company that isn't scared of that. Um, But is there a better way to do it? And also our care groups, um, they're not 24 seven. And so when we started looking at how do we expand hours of operation, the cost the, it really starts going up pretty darn quickly. And so the chatbot was really kind of, mm-hmm. ah, we should think about those. And the use cases that we're focusing on, Eric, are these that are pretty low value, easy to implement, um, things that are almost, I just call them the rinse and repeat things. And one of our biggest reasons people contact us is, um, we um, I like to joke and say, I don't want my stuff, which is I want to return my order. Um, And so we've done a lot of work around how do we make it easier when somebody doesn't want the stuff we sent them? Um, And so that's the initial piece of this work. Mm -hmm. Um, There's another piece that we've got about where is my stuff, which is order status. Um, We know we don't do a really good job in all of our communications with the consumer, particularly email. Um, We've got some stuff teed up. But we're like, it's, you know, a little bit further into the future than we want it to be. So how do we have a nice solution for a while for consumers to connect with us and say, where's my stuff and not have to talk to a human? Mm-hmm. And so those are the two primary use cases. Um, those should be completely um, available probably within the next you know two weeks um, on our website. So where is my stuff? And I don't want my stuff. Um, now, the way we were able to launch them so quickly, though, is mm-hmm the bot does all the front end work. We don't have the bot doing the back end work. So we still have humans in the background that get some work sent to them that they need to do, but they'll be able to do that work in a a fraction um, of the time. And then we'll start building the bot to do the back end work as well. And then in the spring, we've got um, some bots that um, will actually kind of help along the sales process. So um, with some things that we will deploy Mm -hmm. next year, Um, We think that consumers have a lot of questions about it. Like, well, what about this? What can I do here? What font can I use? All that kind of stuff. Um, And so we're going to use bots to help with that as well. So more kind of sales process support um, and see how that goes. Again, I think the total number of use cases were probably 45 different reasons for the bot to help with. But the bot isn't going to solve anything. Mm -hmm. And so for us as a brand, Hallmark means people connecting we don't want to put a barrier there. So we built in some really good, we think, sure. rules that the minute we're sensing the consumer isn't getting what they want, we're going to hand it off to a human immediately. Um, so that's kind of where we're going with it. And I think that particularly outside of the hours of operation of our group today, because these will be 24-7, um, this will be a really good solution for consumers. And when there isn't that human to ha- handle that case um, off to, Um, we've got a nice solution where, um, it'll open up a case and tell the consumer, Hey, we'll contact you during business hours. So I think it's a good baby step. Um, and you know, candidly, the reason some of my opinion also changed on it is probably I want to, there's a certain shoe company that uses bots and, um, I interacted with it not that long ago. And then there's also another company that sells a couple of things through (laughs) the mail um, that many people in the U S at least buy stuff from. Um, And they both use bots and it was really good. (laughs) Like the experiences were good. And so I thought, you know, I think that there's a place for these guys here, kind of like interactive voice response units are a place for them. They're not going to solve everything. And I think, Also, we'll soon be in a spot where when you're not using this technology um, to help support like your digital experience, you're going to be left behind. So I think folks who are sitting on Mm -hmm. the side and they're like, well, we'll wait and see. I think you might find that you're going to be behind um, your competitors in a couple of years that start building institutional knowledge about how to use them, how to build them, how to maintain them, when to apply them, when not to apply them. And that expertise I think is going to leave some of them behind yeah. so I'm glad that we're jumping on now and learning um with some of the, kind of the first guys in this area
1: and I, I think your your approach around very defined use cases that are repeatable there's always some certain things that you don't need a human to human interaction right so so simplicity ease should be about how do I get my problem solved and I think where've seen bots go sideways is when you you're not splitting out the things that the bot can't do. Uh and you're just introducing more steps and more transactions into it. But what you found is is very simple use cases that don't necessarily need a human to human touch. And I love what you said about the ability to to pull out as quickly as you see this is not what you're able to drive through this particular bot channel particular bot process.
2: Yeah. Yeah, because I think when we work in companies, we have a tendency, like, like when we run into problems, we all start focusing internally on like the process and the systems. And how do we, you know, how do you get the box from point A to point B or whatever your business might be? And then we forget the consumer in it. And I think professionals who spend their time in this area, yourself, me, that it's kind of incumbent on us to say we need to create these solutions based on the consumer experience so specific use cases where this will work rather than this approach of, well, we'll just give it to the bot and we don't need any humans in the background doing it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or or trying to push too much to the bot. Uh, And I've certainly seen this where it's very clearly not a human that's interacting with you and they're taking you through so many more loops. I've definitely seen that as tech support with an internet service where (laughs) it's taking you through loops that are going nowhere. Uh, so, so you you bring up a really good point, uh, and you were just touching about kind of that that customer centricity and and that sense of how as a, an organization I connect and I understand what the customer needs. I know we've talked about this before. Uh, there are two things that you brought up that I I thought were were really insightful in terms of themes that you saw in organizations that had that high level of customer centricity, uh, and I'll let you speak to them. But one of them really. Um, Connected with me because I I started trying to think about organizations uh, and trying to see if it fit every organization I had seen, and it was it was true, and it is really the sense of does the CEO and the executives are they comfortable speaking to customers? So tell me more about this as well as the other kind of sense you've got around. Uh, what what makes a customer an organization more customer centric where they think about the customer day in and day out?
2: Yeah, I, I think that you. Touched on what my belief is. It's what I've seen in organizations, whether it's part, ones that I'm part of, or um, where I've worked with. Um, I've talked with folks who are, you know, contact center leaders or CX leaders in other businesses, and what they've shared. And there's one common thing, and one is if the CEO will get on the phone and talk to a, a customer, it creates a unique environment. And when they also insist that their leaders do the same thing, um, then I think that practice, and sometimes it's got to be enforced almost, right? Like some people just don't want to do that. I think that that practice is really powerful in creating an organization that is focused on the consumer. I have been amazed at work groups or even companies, again, that I've done some work with, when nobody talks their consumer Mm -hmm. and i'm like how do you know what's going on and candidly i don't think they care and i think that's why they don't because they don't think they want to know because it's quite uncomfortable right um i think um you know for the company i work for today hallmark um we uh also make movies we have a, a channel that many folks love to watch our movies and um we have streaming services and um you know about a year ago um we had some attention paid to um, a decision we had made um, regarding an ad and then pulling an ad and then um, saying, no, we will run an ad. And we heard very clearly um, from our consumers in large numbers um, what they thought about that or those decisions. And one of the first things that I did was I started taking calls and somebody said, well, that's just ridiculous. Why would you do that? I'm like, but how else would we know? You're not going to see it in a report. I could see the report, and I could probably guess what people were going to say anyway. But what I learned when I actually spoke with them were things that were much more nuanced and much more helpful for us to understand in the future, one, how do we stay away from that? But more importantly, when we run into problems in the future, how do we better prepare folks to be ready to take good care of our consumers? And so I think when it's instinctive, like for me, in this case it was, and and it's because of growing up in a company that that was what I saw and what I did, and now being part of a company where the CEO on down would pick up the phone and talk to anybody, not a problem, that I think it creates really good environments where people become consumer obsessed um, and consumer focused. So I just think it I, I think it does more than anything when you talked about Continental and you know, he's lighting the stuff on fire in in Houston. Um. Those things resonate with people, and I think sometimes people need that permission, right. and that those kind of actions give that permission. Yeah,
1: I, I think that's an incredibly powerful uh, message and a very simple piece. I remember there's a story about a bank in 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 I believe in Washington State where they have phones installed in every branch that you can call the CEO and actually run that the phone will ring at the CEO's office if if whatever if we can't solve your issue. You have a direct line to the CEO. And I, I don't know how many people actually take the opportunity to call, but it creates that linkage of, I'm not afraid, I'll jump in. But it also means that the front line, people want to solve things because they they, they don't want the, the message or the issue that can't be solved to go somewhere else. So it drove more this sense of, how do I solve the issues? And I think of a another CEO of a, of a very large telco, one of the few that's really phenomenal in terms of customer experience. He the CEO calls customers on a regular basis, and even if you're in finance, if there's a billing issue, if you're in the law branch and somebody's unhappy with the contracts, you have to call the customer. So the lawyers are talking to customers, HR yeah. is talking to customers, <laughs> finance is talking to customers. Not just the call center people; they they have that connection. So I think your your point is is very very strong, and is, and it's really not that difficult to implement. You had another theme around common themes that you've seen between organizations that really put the customer at the, at the heart of their business. Tell me more about, about your other theme.
2: Well, I think the other one is a little bit, um, gosh, I, I'll have to come up with a, a good label for it is um, it's really about, um, I, I got, I have to connect a little bit about, you know, growing up in a hotel company, there was always this, how you do what you do is as important as what you do. Um, and you know, I started working for area when I was very young and, um, I just, that really has left a big impression on me. Like the, how is really important. And in the point of what you do could be anything from cleaning a room to taking care of a large team of people or running a massive organization or, or whatever it might be. Um, and what I've kind of built from that though, is for me personally, what drives me and what I've seen with organizations that I've talked to, I've worked with, or that seem to be notably successful in the marketplace are the ones that also understand why they do what they do. Why do we exist? The why is really important in bringing some substance to -to day-to-day activities. So I think when you look at some startups, I think some of them have done this really well, right? Like, um, the why drives them. And at Hallmark, it was so important. Even before I came to this organization, I would just been talking to the folks here. The why was overwhelming. There is this deep belief in the why that we truly, truly do believe organizationally that we help people live more meaningful lives, that we help people connect right. and that what we want to do is have products and services and experiences that fulfill that objective. And I think when companies figure out the why, I think the the kind of automatic, I'm going to take really good care of my consumer is just part of the why as well. It's not really just the how, sure. it's almost more of the why. And I think um, Amazon started that way I'm not sure everyone would agree that it's still that way. I think I sense that it still is, but other big names of the why they're doing what they're doing when, and that drives it. And so I think when people understand the why and um, it'll drive the other of the other hundred decisions you might make in in a period of time to support the why. And for me, one of the biggest whys um, has to remain kind of this belief in humanity in people and that we have an obligation to be good to each other and to take care of each other and that we have a responsibility to take care of the planet um, that we have future generations that we need to make sure inherit something worthwhile and meaningful from us. And so to me, those whys are imperative for us as a society. And when that is part of your business model. I think it just naturally right. flows into taking great care of your customers.
1: And I think it's it even becomes more and more important as we progress. Uh, definitely people want more meaning in the work that they're doing, the, the organizations they work with, and when there's that deep narrative as to why we exist and how we positively contribute. You shared your story about Hallmark. Those are the types of things that get people to want to put in more discretionary effort to, to do more for the outcome, for the customers, for whatever we're trying to achieve, um, and, and and people get it and they make a difference, which I think is is really really powerful. Uh, it reminds me of uh, another airline story. This is this is a Southwest one. Herb Keller was really obsessed about it. <laughs> start with your employees, treat your employees right, then the employees will treat the customers right, and then the money will flow, right? So so it was always he would always drive this yes. chain of take care of your employees first. That's, that's what matters. Right. And that's definitely what I would see definitely in the hotel industry, Maryland, definitely that, that sense of take care of your associates, your employees, they will take care of customers that that same sense of an obsession to do the right thing for the customer. And then the profit will come, but don't make that the front end goal of yes. let's get rich. Cause then that's where y- you lose the sense of good customer and, and the importance of taking care of the customer.
2: Yeah, because getting rich isn't really a why, is it? Like, there's no why with it. There's, like, I don't know. I guess we'd all like to be rich, but then, okay, but then what? Like, what's the why? There's got to be a why. And it has to be more meaningful than, like, just get rich um, or just save some money for this year or this quarter. There's got to be something more. Because if there isn't, then that's just too depressing to contemplate, honestly. So, to me, the why really is like it's incredibly, incredibly powerful. I think here um, in the in this discussion, like why, why, like Southwest, it's not just about getting planes on time. It's not just about having low fares. There's this other why. There's this. You know, they, they want to help in people enhance their lives. There's a million wives, I'm sure, that Southwest has that drives them organizationally. And I think that's why they're so well regarded. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And even if you think about Ritz-Carlton, that same connection of um, how, how ladies and gentlemen, taking care of ladies and gentlemen, if I'm not it mistaken, something along those lines, really that, 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 that connection you're building to who's important and what relationships are important. Yeah,
2: Ritz-Carl the Ritz-Carlton, ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. And um, I, I I hope that's still alive within the Ritz-Carlton uh, organization. I I'm assuming it probably would be. Um, I was not immersed in that work. Um, I did some work with the the Ritz-Carlton uh, groups and uh, their consumers, and that really was alive every day, everywhere you went in those hotels. When you went with their leadership team when you interacted with them, there was a strong belief system and that's of who they were and their purpose, yes. Okay.
1: Ted, thank you very much for coming on, for sharing your wisdom. Um, I, you've covered a lot of really important topics from customer effort to implementing some of the technology like bots, to thinking about how do you really bring that connection to uh, to the workforce and to the customer so that people drive day in and day out the right thing. Love your comments about uh, the comfort calling customers, but but even in terms of that why for, for, for why you exist, I think is so, cri- so critical and, and important. So thank you for joining me today.
0: Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the CX Guru on C-Suite Radio. Increase the value you create. Grow your brand. Drive your success. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show, The Ops Guru with Eric McCroskey. Fuel your future. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.